Ronananian. You know, that was really easy in high school. I was like the third kid in line. It was interesting, uh, high school gym class, because you're behind those two guys. And if they did something wrong and you didn't do it right, the whole class got punished. Guess who got blamed? Well, what the hell is supposed to do, you moron? I'm on a The Car Doctor. Is there a way to defeat that three-cylinder mode to leave it in six-cylinder all the time? Well, yeah, but it's probably more expensive than the value of the car at this point with 318,000 miles on it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Ania, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ronnie and the Car Doctor. Phone number here is 855-560-9900. That's the Car Doctor's 24-7 hotline, actually. When this radio show is not live on the air, we're here Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can call 855-560-9900 and leave a message. Our executive producer, Fast Harry, will call you up and talk to you about your question and bring you out here on air. Yeah, he's going to drag you on radio, but uh, we like doing that because we want to make it for everyone's benefit so that they can uh, understand and appreciate what goes on and uh, we educate everybody, which is what this radio show is all about. There's more information about this radio show as well as car information and uh, things like that at cardoctorshow.com cardoctorshow.com, and also you'll find some other websites there. TuneIn.com has an affiliate list or a partial affiliate list with some of the stations that stream and podcast this show, as well as podcasting at iHeart.com and iTunes.com. And, um, of course, you can also find podcasts at the aforementioned cardoctorshow.com, too. So there's a lot of information out there about us. Um, or you could just Google the name, Ron Ananian, A-N-A-N, IAN or get out to Facebook and find me, Ron Anani and the Car Doctor, and um, you can uh, see what this radio show is all about. If you're new to us, we want to thank you for taking the time. We've got a bunch of nice emails this week from new listeners that are discovering us via the magic of podcasts because, unfortunately, we're not an affiliate in their neck of the woods. And if you've got an affiliate that you think we could be on and fit in in your demographic, then by all means, send us that information. You can just send it to me at ron at cardoctorshow.com. And I'll forward it over to the affiliate department and let them work on it. But um, we're here for you. This radio show is all about helping you understand and repair your car, knowing what to do and how to do it. And um, just in general, have a good experience behind the wheel and under the hood when you take your car in for service. Let's kick the garage doors open right away because we've got a full phone slate. Let's go over and talk to Jim, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 2010 Prius, and some questions. Jim, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Hi, Ron. Hi. Uh, thank you for having your show. I really, really enjoy listening to it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for being there. Uh, 2010 Toyota Prius. It's right. got 18,000 miles on it. Okay. I wondered if I had anything to worry about with the hybrid battery. Um, no, the you know the, the 2009 and up Prius is third generation. Right. And, right. And and it's a fair question. You know, it's it's the average Prius battery replacement is oh thirty five hundred dollars give or take minus core credit. And, you know, mm-hmm. still, it's it's more than your average battery. It's, right. It's, it's the price of what a small engine repair used to be, uh, <laughs> you know. But let me say it like this. Toyota has such high hopes for their batteries 
that they've they've got. I think it's like an eight year, hundred thousand mile warranty in general, and yes. a a ten year, hundred and fifty thousand mile warranty in California. And the thing to take note is that battery replacement it happens, Jim, but mm-hmm. it's it's not common. Right. So okay. you know, it, it's not something. It's not like a regular you know twelve volt battery. You know, how, how many miles a year do you put on the car? Uh, very little, probably about five to six thousand. Yeah, and that's not terribly small. I mean, yeah, it's not twelve to fifteen, but you know, you're probably out there twice a month with it. On a fair statement. Right. Right. Yeah. I think. I think. 12 to 14 is average. Yeah, right. So 12 to 14 is average. So you're you're half of that. I don't think you're um yeah. I don't I don't think you're uh, that big of an issue, but it's just something obviously to be aware of. Hopefully, okay. regardless, you're just changing your oil on a consistent basis because that's right. that's probably the bigger concern. Um, you know, I would be changing the oil in that at least once every 6 months regardless of mileage. Okay. All okay. Right. Thanks, Ron. And Thank you're very you. Welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, you have a good day. You bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's 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 important. And, you know, when you look at the things that go wrong with a car that sits, and it's not great to let a car sit. Uh, you know, we like to see cars being used. It helps seals be lubricated. It keeps the tires from getting flat spots and brake rotors from rusting and things like that. But, you know, if you're going to drive a car, in his case, 6,000 miles, change the oil and, um, you know, switch to synthetic. That's definitely a car for synthetic fluid and, you know, maintain it that way. And by all means, take a look at the line of synthetics that Pennzoil's brought to market because that's one of the things that their natural gas-based stock derivative oil deals with is uh, vehicles that sit, and their synthetic is second to none in that department. So it's something that um, you know you, you want to look at and consider. You don't want to use a cheap synthetic oil if you're not putting a lot of miles on your car. Let's get over to Livingston, New Jersey, talk to Barry, 2015 Altima and uh, see what's going on here. Yes, Barry, how can I help you, sir? This car can't be broken. It's brand new. Oh, no, the car is fine. But how to do with maintenance? Okay. Uh, I know you've always talked about 3,000 miles oil changes, which I've done you know, with other cars. Right. But the, the maintenance book from Nissan says 5,000 miles. Right. As well, your thoughts on doing that five versus uh, you know three. I had lunch this week with my friend Tim. Tim is the shop foreman of a local Nissan dealer. And, you know, this very question came up and it was, you know, and it was just a casual conversation standing around the shop. And, you know, we we talk about the adventures in auto repair that we both experience. And I said, so, Tim, you know, what is Nissan's current projected oil change interval? And he says, most of our cars are five to six thousand miles. And, you know, he says we have some that, you know, they claim can go longer. And I said, what do you see that oil looking like? And he says it still comes out blacker than coal. And, you know, the engine will last 100,000 miles. He says beyond that, then there, start, there, there starts to be issues. And um, he said if it were me, I'd still do it in the three to 4,000-mile range because it just seems to be better for the engine. So that being said, that's some real-world experience. My thought process, uh, you know, are we going to run synthetic or conventional in this, Barry? I, I haven't done it to the dealer. I changed the oil. I, I assume they put it in conventional oil. Right. You know, keep in mind, the dealer is following a maintenance marketing plan, all right? I'm sure they might have even sold you this as part of the package when you bought the car. You, you know, G. Barry will sell you this car for XYZ dollars, and, you know, we'll even throw in the $2,000 oil change package for free, and we'll just change the oil every 5,000 miles. And guess what? If they can drag maintenance out to the point where at 100000 you have to buy a new car, 
guess who's guess who's winning and guess who's not and it, it really comes back to that if it's conventional oil barry yeah technology's gotten better i admit that maybe you could sneak it up to four thousand miles but to go to five on conventional i think you're pushing it you know things start to yeah, happen but- things start to happen to conventional oils they they haven't changed the technology to my knowledge as of whatever time it is 315 on saturday afternoon june the 27th 2015 that conventional oils are all made of a similar base stock they have additives put in those additives you're putting in are the vitamins that keep oil going and they start to wear out at 3000 miles they're not worn out they start to dissipate they start to become used up and depleted and by the time that engine has 5,000 miles on it, that engine is now working on a base stock oil rated from 1965 by the Society of Automotive Engineers. It's all about the vitamins in the engineering. If I had just paid, oh, I'll take a guess here, $28,000 for this 2015 Ultima? Uh, close, because okay. I got it with the... You know the, the the blind the blind spot warning. Right. And, yeah. Uh, so you paid thirty. You know, all, all this stuff. In okay. It. So you paid thirty. Um, I would I would be using a synthetic oil. I would be considering Pennzoil. As I've said before, Pennzoil synthetic is tops in its field. That natural gas derivative that Pennzoil came up with a year ago, a year and a half ago, for their base stock is second to none. It's the purest oil out there. You can read more at MotorOilReimagined.com, and I'd be changing it. Then I change it every five. I have no problem with that. Um, well, on conventional, you would still do a three. I would still do it three to thirty-five hundred. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, okay, and that's and, always it with the other car. And I was going to say the issue here is heat and how you use the car. You know, um, right? And, and that's the issue. Uh, what kind of driving? Well, most you, of my driving is highway. Okay. If, if your highway is driving, use conventional. Do it four thousand. But you know what? Don't split hairs. All right, and, uh, you know, it's just my way of thinking. We spend more time worrying about oil changes in this country than we do should we get an extra cup of extra-large latte with foam at Starbucks. It, it boggles my mind. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's still a piece of machinery. And if someone ended up spending one extra oil change a year for the life of the car for seven, eight years, and they didn't have to do major engine repair and they got to drive the car to 140, 150,000 miles, after eight nine years, uh, you know, wasn't it worth it? Well, if I had the previous car, I had one hundred thirty six thousand miles, and I did uh, oil changes about every three thousand miles. Right. Well, when the proof's in the pudding, right? Look at you know the technology hasn't gotten that much better. You answered your own question, Barry. I appreciate the call eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. We're back right after this. Ron and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the Car Doctor hotline, cardoctorshow.com for more information. Let's keep it rolling. We've got a lot of calls this hour. John Appleton, Wisconsin, your next up, 2007 Dodge Caravan. How can I help you? Well, I have uh, a heater problem where I get fresh air. When I have the fresh air coming in, it's about 15 degrees warmer than outside air. Okay. As if it's 70, it's come, coming in at 84, 85. 
But when I turn on the air conditioner, it pulls it right down. It's uh, uh, cold air is coming out at 55 degrees. Okay, so so the the outlet temp on AC is good, but when you're in heat, it doesn't seem to correspond to what you've got the temp control set to on the head itself. Right. If you want to just take air from outside in, and it's, okay. it's, heat, it's heating it. There's 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 two things that come to mind. Three actually. One is there are pro- known problems with blend doors, where the blend doors will break. Um, understand what this system is 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 like, John. Go to the front door of your house. If the door is closed, that's heat. If the door is open, you're going to let cool air in. Mm-hmm. So if if John decides, hey, I want to cool the house off halfway, and I'm just simplifying the point, he opens the door halfway. It's at 50%. The computer works off of a temperature reading, and it decides where to put that blend door. If it sees John call for middle-of-the-road temp, it tries to put the blend door at 50%. It can't physically, mechanically do it, but it has a sensor attached to the top of your door hinge, and it sees the door open 50%, and it stops. If that sensor is out of calibration, it thinks it's at 50%, but maybe it's at 65 or vice versa. So mm-hmm. blend door position, blend door hinge can be a problem, number one. Number two, blend door calibration. Sometimes the computer gets stupid. It just It just loses where it is. And there's a process where they, they call it blend door calibration where they will sweep the door all the way open, sweep the door all the way closed, and so the computer now learns high spot, low spot. It knows where middle of the road is. Okay? okay. And, and then third thing, sometimes they have temp control head problems. Sometimes the actual temperature control head goes out of calibration and provides wrong signal to the, to the BCM in this case because this is a body computer issue. Uh, it feeds it to the BCM in a Chrysler and causes a problem that way. Somebody's got to spend some time with diagnosis, and I would think within an hour to two hours of chop time, someone could give you a pretty good answer, um, starting with pulling codes out of the system, either PCM or BCM, to see just what's coming up as a possible fault and failure. But these are this yeah. is not an uncommon complaint. Yeah, that's what my thing was. I asked the dealer, and he says, well, we can start with a $200 estimated ball. I'm not the only guy that had this problem. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think what the dealer is really saying is, John, we've got to go through the steps. Listen, you know, yeah. I, I say it to Harry all the time. Harry will come by the shop and watch me work on cars from time to time, and he says, what's wrong with this? And I said this, and he goes, then why are you doing that? Because I've got to go through the motions. I've got to make sure that even though I know it's this, or this is part of it, that there isn't more. You know, if, if I was working on a relative's car, well, actually, if I was working on a relative's car, I probably wouldn't work on it. But if I was working on a relative's car uh, for no money, yeah, all right, you know what, John, it's that, all right? I don't have to take your money. I don't have to, I don't have to back up what I say, okay? I can just, it's, it's, it's a random guess at that point, or it's an educated guess. If someone's taking your money to repair something on a commercial basis, they, they, they owe it to you to charge you for a diagnosis or to perform a diagnosis at the very least. So when they turn to you and say, hey, John, it's this, it's it's mm-hmm. X number of dollars, you're comfortable going, yeah, okay, it's not just a guess. Um, I, I get where you're coming from, and just the fact that I can sit here and, you know, rattle off three possibilities, yeah. Could, all, could it be any one of those three? Sure. It could also be a mouse that crawled under the hood and was chewing halfway through the wiring harness that nobody can see. It could be four other possibilities. I mean, the list of what could be wrong is 12 steps deep. 
diagnosis is always a good thing to do, and it's 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 a logical place to start. So I have to agree with the dealer in this case. So the dealer's got to set some uh, uh, parameters. Right. I mean, um, a diagnostic tool up to it. Right. Huh? He's going to set a diagnostic tool up. He's going to go through go through some parameters. The key that will tell you whether or not it was a good diagnosis is what they come back with. Do they come back and say, you, John, it's going to be $439.93 and this will fix the car? Or are they going to say it's $493.39 and this might fix the car? And then you have yeah. to ask, why is it might? What did, mm-hmm. I, what did I spend the diagnosis for? And in some cases, it's, it, it could be a two-step process. But this also comes back to, do you trust the dealer? Well, I mean... I don't normally go to dealers. I go to independents. Right. So for this, I thought I should go to the dealer. Well, have you talked? Have you talked to your independent mechanic about whether or not he can fix this? I will. Yeah, that's the first step. Because <laughs> you know what? Sometimes it's not about who does it. It's do you trust them? And that's yeah. the key. That's the key. I was at the. Um, I went to the chiropractor this morning, real quick, before I let you go. And I got out of the car, and one of the fellows at the chiropractor knows who I am and what I do, and. He got out of his car. He had come down. He had got in his car. He saw me pulling in the truck, and he got out, and he came over, and he said, listen, Ron, he goes, you know the Honda that we were talking about? And I said, yeah. Uh, we, you know, you can imagine what the chiropractor's office is like every Saturday. It's, it's, you know, it's the prelude to this show. And um, he said, well, I took it into the Honda dealer to have some tires put on, and they told me I need front end work. I took it to my regular mechanic. He says I don't. Can I bring it to you for a real answer? And, <laughs> you know, I knew what he was saying. He trusted yeah. me. And, you know, trust is everything in a service relationship. And if you don't trust the guy, then I don't care if they do it for half price or double the price. It's 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 a bad choice. So you got to trust the guy that's working on your car, your house, your kitchen sink, and handling your legal affairs. Go get a second opinion. Go talk to your mechanic, John. We'll start the war from there. All right, sir? All right. Thank you, and you're, really enjoy your show. You're very Thanks. welcome. Thank you. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to be here for you and everyone else. Um, I can't say enough about trust. You know, it's money in a relationship. It changes everything. It's, 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 you know, it's that boundary that defines where that relationship goes. And if someone's going to take your money, they owe you a diagnosis. And at least then with confidence. Yeah, some things are obvious. The fan belt or the alternator belt fell off the car. You know, there's no diagnosis there. The belt's gone. The water pump's leaking. Yeah, there's no diagnosis there. Why does my car overheat in traffic after driving four and a half hours up Mount Invincible in in 110 degree heat? Well, could be a radiator, could be a water pump, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Time to pay for a diagnosis. I'm Ron and Andy in the car doctor. We're back right after this. Andy and the Car Doctor, welcome back, 855-560-9900. Thanks for sticking around this hour here at the Car Doctor. It's cardoctorshow.com for more information. You can get out to tune in, iHeart, iTunes, and Ron at cardoctorshow.com if you need me during the week. Let's get back to the busy phones. Let's go over and talk to Curtis in Conroy, Texas, and problems with his 2000 Ford F-150. That's sort of like the national symbol of Texas, isn't it, Curtis, the uh, Ford pick-em-up truck? 
hey, if you're in Texas and you don't have a Ford pickup truck, you're just not from Texas. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. You know, it's um, like that's it. That's the vehicle to have. So what's going on here? Yeah, it's been a good one. I got a 2000 F-150 extended cab with a 5.4 Triton engine. Right. I have 143,000 miles on it. I've changed the oil since new, and I bought it new, every 3,000 miles with 10W30 Pennzoil or 10W30 Vaveline. Okay. And um, right now, uh, with 143,000 miles on it, I, uh, I'm burning about a half a quart every 1,000 miles. What I'd like to know is, is that normal? Uh, is there something I can do to uh, help? Or slow down the uh, the burn of the oil, or you know, is there something I can put in there to to help my engine? Is, is it is it, are you still using ten thirty, Curtis? Yes. Okay. Now in two thousand, do they recommend ten thirty? Are they calling for five thirty? Uh, ten thirty for okay. the temperatures that we are. Well, here. okay, right, because you've got a temperature issue. Sometimes ten thirty or the higher viscosity, you know. Don't just look. Are you looking on the oil fill cap, or are you are you, are you in the owner's manual? Owner's manual. All right. Um, how close to that spec are you? You know, can you could you fudge five thirty to try it for one oil change? Yeah, uh, that, that wouldn't be a problem. In fact, five thirty uh, to uh, on the temperature wise, it uh, it runs into the ten W. Thirty. It's just when you start getting about 110 degrees here, uh, they recommend the 10W30. Well, I could solve that problem. 110 degrees, just stay home in the air conditioning. So that, <laughs> well, that, I try that too. Yeah, that, that won't be a problem. Trust me, brother. Um, you know, the reason I say try dropping the viscosity down is because there's been a recent school of thought in the last oh, 12 to 18 months in the industry that they're seeing a high viscosity or a heavier viscosity oil. Um, will will cause issues with the piston rings from allowing them to fully expand and not get stuck and create consumption issues on engines that have wear on them. And listen, it could make the problem worse. It could keep the problem the same, but at least we'll know. So yeah. trying a 530 is, is where I would recommend you go next. Now, you know, a half quart every 1,000 miles, you know, it doesn't make me happy, but A, it's not a quart, and B, it's still cheaper to put in a half quart than it is to replace the engine or the vehicle at this point. It's 16 years old. Um, what, what you've got to be concerned about is if the oil consumption gets worse at, at, at the point of a quart every thousand, then we're going to start to see possible issues with, and I realize saying any possible issues on a 16-year-old truck with a buck and a half on it, um, it seems silly, but, you know, that oil can and will start to coat the catalytic converters over time. And at some point, 10, maybe 15,000 miles down the road, I don't know where, you can start to see check engine light and catalytic converter efficiency faults as well. Do you recommend using that, uh, what they call that high uh, mileage oil? You know, the high mileage oil is is also formulated in a specialty way. Yes, you could take a look at that. Um, and consider that because that does have differences in additives. But I, I believe what I would probably do first is start with 530, all right? Okay. And I would just yeah. go, you know, some 530 pens oil, just, you know, either they're conventional, and if you've been using conventional all along, I'd stay with their 530 conventional. And then if you want to switch and go to their higher mileage oil, you can do that as well, um, you know, and try that. A little bit of a science experiment each time. 
we may end up getting nowhere, but you've got to change the oil anyway, so what difference does it make? And, you know, kind of take it from there. Um, You did well, 143,000 miles. I'm just curious. You've done all the other maintenance, coolant service, spark plugs, those types of things? Yeah, what I do, uh, generally, this is my third one. I've always keep them anywhere from 13 to 18 years each. So this is my third Ford pickup truck. Right. Um, Yeah, what I do is at 100,000 miles, I do many tune-ups. And I also uh, have the tr- transmission oil and filter changed at that time. Right. And uh, it, they seem to last until I trade them off. Right. You did well. You know what? To go 100,000 miles on the first trans fluid change, um, you did really well. I would, I would, you must be, you, I guess you, well, yeah, you are doing a lot of highway driving. You're in Texas. Um, so I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it's a lot of over the road stuff. Curtis, I appreciate the call. Take a look at um, Motor Oil Reimagined dot com for more information about Pennzoil oil and um, there's also a tech line number there you can call and talk to them about what oils to use but uh, try the switch to 530 first and then we can uh, we can talk about it again if you need to you can give me a call back at 855-560-9900 i'm ron and in the car doctor let's pull over and take a pause i'm back right after this Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. That is 24-7 on all the time. Call and leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and put you in queue for the following week when this show's live, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get over and talk to Pam South Hadley. I guess that's Maine. Is that Maine, Pam? Uh, no, it's actually Western Massachusetts. Oh, thanks okay. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're very welcome, oh, dear. How can I help? Ron, I've got a 2004 VW Touareg, 90,000 miles. I've been through three batteries in four years. Uh, I was on vacation in Maine and started getting odd messages from the electrical warning system. So I took it into a VW dealership in Maine, mentioned the battery issue as an aside. When I picked the car up, the service guy said, you have a second separate alarm on the battery. It's on all the time. That's what's draining the battery. We've never seen anything like this, and we have no idea how to disable it. Isn't that exciting? Okay. Yes, it is. Are, and we've, and uh, talking a little more, he realized I had bought the car in Queens in New York City. He goes, well, maybe in a high-crime area, that's standard equipment. Mm. Um, no reflection on Queens, although, yeah, my my, enge- <laughs> my engineer, Tony, smiling. He gets it. He's from Brooklyn. Um, oh, yeah. uh, let's start the war from here. First of all, we've got to determine, is this an anti-theft car or not an anti-theft car? And they can do that by running down the serial number or the part number of the PCM. Or uh, uh, if, if the dealer is saying this is an aftermarket alarm, why can't we just disable it? Why can't we just disconnect it? Have you asked that question? Uh, yeah, I, I did. And a friend of mine who's actually an aircraft mechanic said, there's got to be a fuse or something you can you can cut. Yeah, it has to be. And, uh, has to be. Now, Now, you know, I've unwired a few car alarms at the shop, not to make it sound like we're, we're doing it on a daily basis, but it does happen. We probably unwire three, four car alarms a year, and it's just a process. It's a process of time, patience, and your checkbook. 
um, to put it bluntly, because they've got to go in, depending upon how this aftermarket alarm was attached, and disconnect it from the harness, figure out where, you know, here's the factory harness, here's the aftermarket harness, we cut it here, splice this in between, and enabled it that way. So it, it can be reversed. It depends a lot on how it was put together, and if it's not too badly hacked up, just soldering things back together and putting it back to original. Um, if you look at your key ring, maybe this is the answer. If you look at your keys on your key ring, is there a remote of some type that's that's doesn't look like it came from Volkswagen? No. Okay. It, it's just I've just got two identical Volkswagen, Volkswagen keys. keys. Do you turn the alarm on and off, or does it automatically arm whenever you lock the car? I turn it on and off. How do you turn it on and off? Uh, I actually, old-fashioned, I actually put the key in the lock and turn it. Okay, and that, ar- that arms the alarm. Yeah, it's the alarm for the car. Right. But the, the VW service guy told me that the battery alarm, the separate second one, is just always on. And, you know, the battery for this car is under the driver's seat. And so it's fairly inaccessible. The, and it's always on. The alarm for the battery? Yes, is always on, because that's the idea behind this system, that if somebody breaks into the car, you know, and let's say I'm an idiot and I've forgotten to put the car alarm, so he breaks into the car, he goes to steal the battery, of course that the battery alarm has to be on oh my all the time. So we, we actually thought somewhere somewhere in Queens there's a dealership saying that somebody might break into a 2004 Volkswagen and steal the battery out of it? Well, it, I, I got the car in 2000. Well, right, I get that. But still, <laughs> um, I think we've taken things to an extreme level here. Um, yeah, I, listen, had no, I had no idea there was this second yeah, alarm specifically if, for the if, battery. If, if, if somebody put it on, there's a way to take it off. All right? Yeah. If somebody wanted to do a parasitic draw test, there's got to be a fuse here that's activated. Now, what I'd like you to do is go back to your friend, the aircraft mechanic, and ask him about doing a millivolt voltage drop test. All right? The, The problem is that to do a parasitic draw test on newer cars, it, it takes a lot because of the computer involvement. In, in some cases, in the case of most Volkswagens, for example, you're 30 to 45 minutes of letting the vehicle sit idle, key out of it, doors closed, hood down, to let all the modules go to sleep. And then by the time you go up to do any kind of amperage draw testing, the minute you wake something up, you have to start all over again. So con- conventional thinking is now working towards the idea of doing a millivolt. You take a digital volt meter, set it on millivolts, which is a very small scale, and you're looking for milli-voltage on any one particular fuse. The idea being is that if there is a presence of voltage on that fuse, then that circuit is showing voltage, therefore it's showing amperage flow, and that circuit is still live, and there's your drain. At least then you might be able to know that, okay, this this aftermarket alarm that's been put on that has no fuse, has a fuse. So there has to be a fuse somewhere. There's got to be something that powers that alarm. It just can't. <laughs> we don't have the technology to do this wirelessly yet. Mm-hmm. And a millivolt voltage drop test will help you to find that. Okay, but I will I, ask for 
help with that. I, I, uh, like I have it, to, I, but I have to tell you, Pam, I've never seen an alarm specifically for just a battery. And it's just insane. Yeah, that's just crazy. So, well, um, so the current battery is dead, dead, dead. Right. I it and it was fully charged a month ago when I went in for an oil change and all the other stuff. Right. Um, and I didn't drive it at all last week. Went to it, started, put it on a 10 amp charger for three hours. Absolutely nothing. So I've got a spring for a new battery, which is a darn shame because I'm trading in the car this summer. Right. <laughs> so any expense I have to go to is just, uh, I mean, is, I'm just wondering if it, if it's worth it. Well, of course I've got, you know, if I've got someone who will do it for free. Right. Like. It's 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 worth it if you need to have the car and drive it around for a month. You know, yeah. you're, you're you're paying for the price of a battery versus renting a car. Is the dealership that sold you the car still in business? Uh, I have no idea. I could call and see. Was, uh, you know, a fairly large one in Queens. Right. I would wonder if you called them, and um, you know, maybe they can go back in their files. Maybe you're still. Maybe that vehicle still exists in their files. And they could tell you, yeah, we installed these alarms. Here was the company. Um, or could you at least take a look at the alarm or something? There's got to be a module in the car or wiring at the battery. Anything with any identifying tag and Google it from there. And, you know, the Internet's a great source of information. You just have to weed through it. And maybe you can find out more about this alarm, this add-on from that point, too. Okay, I'll try that. I'll start by calling the original dealership. All right. If you if you can get a picture of this alarm add-on or anything you get, send me a picture. Email it to me, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'll see what I can come up with. Okay. All right? Thanks a lot, Ron. You're welcome, Pam. Good luck to you, dear. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor is back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor winding things down this hour. Let's go for an out-of-the-states call. Paul, Ontario, Canada. Paul, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, sir. Uh, question for you. Yes, sir. I have a 2006 Mazda Speed 6. Um, and I put an engine in it because uh, I had it through a rod at like uh, 220,000 miles. So I put a new engine in. When I put the new engine in, I told the guy who was putting my engine in, I said, can you get the injectors cleaned? And... Recently, I had a misfire, and I tracked it down. It's like it's not it's not ignition because I swapped the plugs and the, the coil packs, and I'm like, okay, it's those injectors. I know we never cleaned them. So I pull all the intake off, and while it's off, I look down the intake tracks at the back of the valve. And because it's direct injection, the amount of crap on the back of the valve is just astounding yeah. after 12,000 yep. miles. And yep. I'm like, you read up on it, and guys are using walnut media blaster to clean it off, and I'm like, there's got to be a better way. An injector cleaner doesn't obviously do it because it doesn't go that way. Well, the problem with the, what your opinion is. You know, the problem with the injector cleaners, Paul, is getting it into the system. And, you know, there yeah, but, are, you know, but you can't. But if it's direct injection, it's not, yeah, it doesn't go through the intake. Right. You, you can't. So it, it, it becomes an issue. Um, you know, my experience with direct injection, the best way to do it is 
to now there are some cleaners that you can spray around the intakes that you know you're not going through the injectors there are various cleaners yeah. out there from different manufacturers that you can try and going through that process um crc makes one uh gdi uh, gasoline direct injection cleaner and we've had some mm-hmm. good results with that and um, we followed those recommendations also and i'm sure you're not in this category you know what's your length of time between oil changes they're finding that the cars that are dragging out the oil changes are the ones that are more likely to have problems with carbon buildup on direct injection cars. Mini Coopers come to mind. They're a nightmare for that. Um, so it's it's cleaners outside, such as the sprays, and um, doing that. And then additives into the gas tank, because um, although actually additives in the gas tank won't help the intake valves, they will help with piston rings, carbon deposits, better combustion, and maintaining compression in the cylinder. So there's a couple of ways to attack it, and there's a couple of things you can try. All right, sir. Hey, listen, I appreciate the call. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. Mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.